The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Hello, this is The Exchange from Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Anna Shemansky, and I'm happy to have Hattie Farag in the studio today. He is a partner and associate director within the financial institutions practice at Boston Consulting Group, one of the world's leading management consulting firms. He is also the co-author of BCG's 11th Annual Survey of Investor Sentiment. Welcome, Hattie. Hi. And why don't you start by providing a little background about the survey? Absolutely. Um, So we we obviously are a management consulting firm working for corporate clients. Um, But more, more and more of our corporate clients really need to deeply understand the capital markets, what it what is going on, what the expectations are, and how they change over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, in the wake of the financial crisis in 2009, we f- first did an in- a survey of investors, trying to understand how they were thinking about the crisis, how they wanted companies to respond to the crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that spawned the series, which now is in its, its 11th year. And what we're trying to do is really bridge the gap between the capital markets and how investors and analysts think mm-hmm. behind the scenes, and how our and our clients, who obviously interact with them, but they always interact in a very specific way. Right? They always interact about this is my the company I am responsible for. Mm-hmm. You are my shareholders. I'm bound by fiduciary duties. I cannot talk at liberty about anything and everything that is going on. So I'm not don't necessarily hear all of that. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to to bridge that gap both through surveys like this, but also through our, our ongoing work for our clients. Great. And this particular survey, what would you say is maybe the number one takeaway? So our uh, 2019 survey, which we just completed before the holidays um, and published uh, very, very recently, um, in, a, in a lot of ways, it reflected a trend that we've seen over the last few years, that everybody agreed and still agrees, I think, that the markets are very fully valued, mm-hmm. um, that there is a certain concern that that runway is getting shorter and that we're almost running on borrowed time now. I think the the main thing that changed from prior years is what people are concerned about. Mm -hmm. It's still valuation levels, but it's much more macro concerns about the economy, about the political environment, less so, um, for instance, compared to the 2018 version. Um, the the financial environment, much less, for example, um, the the concerns about interest rates, Mm -hmm. which obviously were in 2018 very much on everybody's mind. Now, everybody basically expects central banks to to hold their fire. And I'm kind of curious there with with last year, because Mm -hmm. obviously we had this, you know, kind of massive return in the S&P. However, most of that was multiple expansion. And a lot of that multiple expansion was related to rates. Right, the, the reversal of, right. of the the upswing. Right, and, and I guess I'm kind of curious then what that says moving forward. Because if you're getting a lot of this return from multiple expansion, then that suggests right. maybe you're pulling returns from the future. Exactly, and, and honestly, it's not limited to the just last year. Mm-hmm. You've seen multiples expand over the last four or five years already. Right, um, a lot of that driven by, by availability of capital, which mm-hmm. includes obviously interest rates, but it's also other alternatives. Right, there is. A, a huge amount of money looking for investments. Right. Um, now, the good thing is short term, that will probably not change. Mm-hmm. 
But clearly, what it does not uh, going to happen is that it's not a trend that will just continue forever. Right. And, and I think that's what investors told us very clearly. Mm -hmm. And I, one of the interesting um, conflicts that they all face, right, se over 70% told us they consider the market overvalued. Mm -hmm. They're still long in the market. Right. And to a certain extent, they kind of have to be, right? Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so I... And so I guess maybe then jumping off to what you were speaking about before, this idea of concerns about the macro environment and then how mm -hmm. that can affect markets. So what are some of those specific concerns? I didn't, let's, let's start today. Mm -hmm. right? The last couple of days I've seen the market crash because of concerns about, about coronavirus and what, can it, what it can do both short term mm -hmm. but as well as medium term in terms of disrupting supply chains, in terms of disrupting demand. Um, that's obviously not something people told us in December, right? Um, but the, the fact, I think at the time, it was much more things about the, the trade conflict within the U.S. and China, um, uncertainty about what happens with the U.S. election. At the time, Brexit wasn't a, a, a fully done deal. Mm -hmm. So there were there are a lot, in a sense, it's a, it's a catch-all for a lot of risks. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, I think the way most investors thought about it is for this tra track record of this momentum to continue, a lot of things have to go right and play right. together. And now it could be any of, of a variety of things that could go wrong. Gotcha. And so was there, even before the kind of coronavirus crisis happened, was there a concern about China's slowdown? Definitely. Um, I, I think much more about an, uh, a more um, organic slowdown. Mm -hmm. Right. right? And, and the question in a sense, what is the midterm trajectory? Mm -hmm. Right. We, I mean, we've seen growth rates already come down right. over the years. The question, in a sense, is does that slowdown continue? Does it level off? That's, I think, what, what a lot of people were, were thinking about. So is that both kind of a short-term concern, but then also this idea is that China's kind of rebalancing their economy, shifting their economy, if that's a kind of really longer concern as well? Well, I, I think and it's not limited to China. Right. I think it's something where when you look at the global economy, mm -hmm. the question on everybody's mind is what is the long-term momentum and trajectory that that we'll see? Right? I think in the, in the U.S. we've had very healthy development, obviously in part fueled by both what companies have done on the uh, on their end, mm -hmm. part, in part what uh, uh, the tax policy has done. But in a sense, in a lot of ways, things have gone very well here. Things have gone very reasonably well in in China and in Asia. Europe has been decent. And very, very similar, there are a lot of things that could go wrong, mm -hmm. also midterm. Um, and, and obviously, I think the kind of the consensus view that we saw was that there will be a somewhat more moderate environment. Mm -hmm. So for instance, just to give you a few numbers, um, one question that we always ask people is, what do they expect to be the market average return on mm -hmm. stocks? And just to, for, for reference, if you look at the last 80, 90 years, in the U.S., it's been about 10%. Right. Globally, a little bit lower, but in the 8 to 10% range. Mm -hmm. Over the last few years, people have been telling us it's 5.5%, give mm -hmm. or take a little bit. So a significantly lower right. um, level. And this is a longer-term trend, Exactly. Right? That's a longer-term trend. So we're always asking for three years, mm -hmm. but we've been asking it for 10 years now. So um, we, our track record really shows when we first asked that question 10 years ago, um, the, the answer was much closer to the 10%. It was maybe it was seven, mm -hmm. um, and which is, if you kind of adjust for inflation levels and so on, 
it's much closer to the 10% nominal that we've seen historically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've lost 2% off of that, which is really mainly driven by, um, in a sense, lower expectations on underlying profit growth. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, in the last few years, a little bit more expectation of a somewhat of a reversal or, mm-hmm. or leveling off of valuation levels. Yeah, so then I'm guessing, like, thinking about that environment, how are investors preparing for that? Now, it, I, th- I think there is something that basically everybody has been preparing or, or doing over the last few years already, which is diversifying more. Last year, we actually explicitly asked um, investors how they changed their practices. Mm-hmm. And I think what we, what we heard from a lot of people was they, that they have become a little bit more short-term, a little bit more value-focused. Um, so, so in a sense, companies have to meet higher hurdles and that's continually higher mm-hmm. hurdles for investors to pay full price. And I think that's something where um, more and more investors are, are just, in a sense, challenging themselves. Are those investments still the right investments at the current levels? And that's why, for instance, you see now the something that's not totally new news, right? There was always a risk of the coronavirus becoming right. global. But the fact that it, it now there are more data points on that, leading to an almost about 10% correction in the market over two, three days. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's not quite 10, right. <laughs> but it's yeah. some, something that usually would be considered a somewhat significant correction. That's because people have their fingers on the sell button mm-hmm. much more so um, than if you go three, four years back. Gotcha. So, I mean, and, and that would be a bit of a shift because what we've seen, you know, recently in the market is, you know, value has not done well. Yeah. You know, growth has massively outperformed. You have a lot of these tech stocks that are, you know, such a large part right. of the S&P return. So from what you're seeing in this survey, do you think that we could actually start to really see a shift from that? Well, I, I think it always depends a little bit on what, what, what how the overall course, market right. <laughs> economy develops, right? Because I think it's one of the things that is, again, not totally new. In bull markets, growth stocks do significantly better. Mm-hmm. And both in, with regard to the stock market, but also economically, the last 10 years have been a great uh, trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, also technologically, there's been real change. Um, those are things that are not necessarily replicable for the next 10 years. On the other hand, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I probably would have said the same thing. Right. So that, that, that's a very, very hard thing to answer. I think the the thing that we've we've seen is people really dis- differentiate more. Mm-hmm. Right? It's either real value or if I invest in growth, I really challenge the sources of growth. It's not as much what's my current trajectory, what's been my last year growth rate. Right. It's really do I have the runway, do I have the differentiation in my business model mm-hmm. that allows me to capture a market or really disrupt a whole market? Or is it something where the incumbents can catch up and, you know, over the next two or three years, my momentum will just stall? And maybe I'll, I'm still a significant player, but I'm not going to, I don't have the same runway. Gotcha. And and kind of thinking about that and what could allow companies to mm-hmm. be the type of company that, you know, you, these investors would want to put their money in. I, in. In your survey, there's a lot of information about investors wanting more organic growth, that that's where they want this kind of capital allocation. And I'm wondering if you could just speak a little bit more about that. Trin- I think there is obviously the, the point that investors tell us right now, which is they want companies to invest in that. They want comp- they feel that companies 
or at least a lot of companies, can do a lot more on that front. Mm -hmm. So just to give you an example, what they told us, on average, 50% of the companies that they follow or invest in could or should spend more on digital capabilities, on the technology stack underlying that. So basically the things that really are mid to longer term investment in the future. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the, the current view. There is also a much longer term view. So what, one analysis we've been doing for, for quite a few years now is what really drives returns, and let's say top quartile returns. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think of the, the whole set of drivers, revenue growth, margin expansion or cost reduction, revaluation, cash payouts, short term, you can do a lot with cost optimization. Right? If you're a few hundred basis points behind your peers, catching up to them creates massive value. Same thing if you're undervalued and can catch up. But those are short-term levers, which means they're still important, Mm -hmm. but they are not replicable. You you can't expand your margins 100 basis points 20 years running, exactly. Whereas you can keep growing at a three, four, five, 800 basis points a year. And that's why when you look at really long-term returns over 10, 20 years, the companies that outperform over those timeframes, they have very healthy, at least high high single-digit, if not double-digit growth rates over Mm -hmm. the timeframes. And I think that's where, if you look at an environment now where valuation levels are maybe not fully maxed out, but they're pretty high. Companies over the last 10 years, really, really since the financial crisis, have expanded their profitability. They, a lot of them have become much leaner, mm-hmm. much more efficient. There is not a whole lot of upside on average. Mm-hmm. When you look at payout ratios, we've had records of uh, share buybacks. Actually, the dividend rate, both the share of dividend payers and the different payout ratios have gone up. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, all of those, those levers that are finite have been pulled to at least some extent. So the, the one thing that really provides you with a good basis for the next 10 years is growth. Yeah, and I guess I'm kind of curious, though, how we kind of square what you're hearing from investors mm-hmm. with what we're actually seeing in terms of what companies are doing and how investors are reacting. Because obviously, you know, you had all these kind of gains from the tax cuts, mm-hmm. but, you know, those weren't put into, that wasn't put into CapEx. It was right. mostly put into buybacks. And, you know, have investors given any sense of why they think that is? Well, not, not explicitly on that. Um, I, I think the, the main challenge that we've seen with a lot of also our clients, right, is especially when you get those lump sum upsides, mm-hmm. like U.S. companies got after the tax reform, it's not that it changes your investment set. And actually, companies who are, are good stewards of capital wouldn't say, oh, great, I now have X billion dollars more. Let me just spend it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a big part of what they need to do is really identify opportunities for that. And in some areas, and, and I think that's why, for instance, we heard that data, that, that point around digital and technological capabilities mm-hmm. so much. Those are, are things that are probably very natural places to invest for the big tech companies, because that's close to where their hearts are. Mm-hmm. When you look at other industries that historically are lower tech, it's not the first thing that they think of, oh, we really need to think of X. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the clients that we see who, are, who, who now need to think about how do I change my trajectory, really the, the source of the problem is that they need to identify what are the the, the future capabilities, which just aren't as obvious mm-hmm. because my industry in 10 years will look so different 
and what it does look now. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think in technology, you just have a lot more people thinking about the next 10 years, and you, s you have a lot more people already investing in those technologies now. And a lot of other industries, that's still very nascent. Right. And I'm wondering, because, you know, when, when wage costs are relatively low, there's probably less incentive to invest in technology, potentially. Whereas right. now, when we're seeing, you know, wage costs get a little higher, we're seeing a pretty tight labor mm -hmm. market, do you think that that might also kind of spur some of these non, you know, tech companies to actually mm -hmm. start investing more and maybe seeing some productivity gains? That's one part for sure. But it's, it's not limited to that, right? Because I, I think a lot of the investments that are really value creating mm -hmm. are not only on the cost side, on the efficiency side. They're also on the, on the customer side. Right. Um, either attracting new customers because may, maybe you're not in the, the domains. Maybe new customers are much more accessible digitally mm -hmm. than through old school brick and mortar. So, so I, th I think it's, it's one part. And it, I don't, it's not that we, we specifically asked about what kind of right. digital investments are you looking for, mm -hmm. or technology investments you're looking for? But I, I think the the important thing is th these opportunities will be very different depending on what industry you're in, mm -hmm. what your what your supply chain looks like, what your what your footprint looks like. It, so in a, in a sense, the the exercise to really identify what the opportunities are is almost company by company. What, what investors tell us is, in a world where technological change has been so fast, mm -hmm. data has become so pervasive, it's, it's a pretty good bet that most companies could spend more and should spend more. They just need to, to really commit to it. Gotcha. So then, the, then there's the thought that if you do see more companies kind of actually, you know, actually spending in CapEx, that there isn't maybe the thought that they'll be punished for that in the market if, if it's seen that they're spending properly, basically, right. in a way that could actually improve returns, improve earnings growth long term. It's definitely something where it's not that any investment is a good investment, right. but investors basically told us that they're, that they're acknowledged companies could be and should be spending more on average. And in a sense, that gives them the right to, to be creative about that. Mm -hmm. That does not say they don't need to go back and be very clear and, and really lay out why are we making these investments and not others? What is the return on the new app development or whatever, whatever it is that we're doing to enhance our business? But it does give, you, give them the, the general right to, to go down that path. Gotcha. And now maybe shifting from organic growth, what was the thought on M&A? Now, and, and it's, it's something that where we, we've seen answers, we very specifically ask about how, they would, how investors would prioritize M&A versus organic growth, mm -hmm. versus cash payouts through dividends, buybacks, and so on, but also to just holding cash or, or managing your balance sheet. And what we've seen over the years, it's, it's actually one of the more stable, by comparison, things. So while dividends were a big priority, or actually cash returns in general were a big priority five, six, seven years ago, now that companies have moved down, gone down that way, mm -hmm. so that's no, good where we don't expect you to raise it much more. On, on M&A, there's been, it's, I think the main thing that holds it back are the valuation levels. Mm -hmm. And it's something we've seen, say, the last few years, the more investors were concerned about valuation levels, that's kind of put a cap on how much they believe in M&A. Gotcha. But it's, it hasn't taken it all away. So, for instance, the, it is still the number two 
priority on average, mm-hmm. just with a big gap to organic growth. And is it is it different by sector? Is that something that you go you kind of dive into in the survey? Um, we, we we have not done that, um, and it's something we when when we um, when we do work for clients across sectors, mm-hmm. it's definitely something where we see significant differences. Um, I think the main thing is, is it's the sector, and it's but it's the sector combined with what would be the strategy behind your M and A, because obviously there can be great M and A plays in sectors that are not really attractive in terms of their growth trajectory, if those are consolidating moves or diversifying moves that really change the trajectory of a company, either because I can become much more profitable by consolidating, I can be one of the winners long-term, even if it's not the most attractive industry. So I'm wondering, were there also any kind of regulatory concerns kind of with politics in the air? Um, Regulatory, not as much. one of the things that really changed from last year to this year, though, was the broader political environment. Um, and it's something where about a good half of our, our respondents um, focus on the U.S. market. And even a lot of the others obviously follow the U.S. very, very closely. So obviously the whole political cycle that we're, we're currently seeing has created a whole series of, of questions. Mm-hmm. By and large, it was more something that made people bearish versus bullish. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I think that's more a sign of uncertainty. Right. They, obviously, we don't know who wins the election in the first place. Mm-hmm. We also don't know what that really means in terms of right. what policies are really being implemented. Regardless of what anyone is exactly. saying in a exactly. campaign. Right. So it, it's definitely a source for concern. Mm-hmm. And... If investors had more alternatives, I'm, I'm sure it w- it's something that would have affected the markets much more. Just all, all, the, all the things we, we discussed in terms of limited alternatives, a lot of cash being out there. Right. Um, I don't think we've seen that really translate into uh, um, a, a big, uh, big discount so far. Now, are there any other like major risks that investors have brought up that we haven't discussed yet? The, does recession risk count as a Yes, as a, it certainly counts. Because... <laughs> It's a neat something we haven't, haven't really touched mm-hmm. on. Um, but one, one of the things we've, we've asked in, over the last few years was really how, how real is that risk? And, mm-hmm. and also, with what urgency do you expect um, an economic contraction? Um, and, and the thing that really struck us this year, um, and it started showing last year, but this year was about three quarters of investors expect a recession over the next two years. And that was independent of why they expected that. Um, now, the, the good news, in a sense, was most of them expected a, a mild recession. So they didn't expect the economy to totally implode. Right. Um, but I think it was basically just the, the acknowledgement that we're kind of running on, uh, on our, our time. Uh, our time. <laughs> um, we're running out of steam in terms of um, just keeping this momentum up. Mm-hmm. Right? And we've pulled a lot of levers, right? All the capital levers, taxes, re, um, interest rates, and so on have been pulled. There's not, not a lot more that can be fueling, fueling that, in a sense, inorganically. Mm-hmm. Organically, companies, even though uh, they obviously have more things to invest in, it's not that there are a lot of short-term things they can do. But consumption has been good right. in the U.S., but also in, in Europe and, and globally, really. So the short-term... Uh, uh, levers are all pretty much on, already on, on uh, 
full steam. So in, in a sense, that's where I think the, the acknowledgement at some point things will have to slow down, even if it's not a terrible sign long term, mm -hmm. um, is, is something that is on people's minds. Gotcha. And, and maybe I'm also kind of curious how that relates to central bank policy and if investors have said anything about that. Because you always hear this kind of this idea of like, well, but you know, if things start to slow, then the Fed's going to step in. Yeah. And, and I guess the right. question is, is there that much room that they can <laughs> that no, they and, have? And, and I think that's where, where really the big change from last year to this year mm -hmm. has been that last year people were concerned about interest rates. And, and that's, in a sense, jargon for we expect central banks and especially the Fed to increase the rates over time which is obviously what they had communicated. Now they've abandoned that. Europe has not really made a move mm -hmm. with Brexit. It's questionable that they have big appetite for, for changing their, their ultra-low interest rates right now. So my, my thought there is there is very little room to, to change that right now. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said, oh yeah, what the Fed is doing is basically giving itself ammunition right. for when something happens. Now, so just as an example, re recently um, U.S. interest rates hit a record low. And to me, that, that's really a sign that people ex expect that lever to be pretty much maxed out. Mm -hmm. Yes, we can set a few more record lows, but at, s at some point there is, is a natural end point. And I, I don't think there are a lot of people here in the U.S., would expect interest rates to turn negative like they have in right. Europe. And has there, there been any thought um, that you've heard from investors about like fiscal policy stepping in? This is something we hear a lot globally. Right, and it's 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 not something we've heard explicitly. Mm -hmm. um, now, I, I think looking at what what's uh, been happening in Europe, where maybe there is more room when you look at, say, the, the German government actually making a, a surplus. Um, I think here here in the U.S the room may be limited to mm -hmm. when you look at how the, the uh, federal budget has, has turned right. uh, to a deficit. Um, but again, that's part of the, the, the question marks investors have regarding what, what happens after the November election. Gotcha. Now, we talked a lot about risks, so maybe let's spend <laughs> a little bit of time on opportunities. Where are people kind of bullish? Now, I, th I think the, the good thing is we're, we're still talking about, it. first of all, about a positive trajectory. Right. Um, and off of that, there are going to be winners and losers. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things we've we found in, in other, other studies we do um, is it's not necessarily that there is one type of winner. Mm -hmm. right? So yes, if you look on average, tech stocks have outperformed right. massively over the last decade. But when you, for instance, compare the average tech stock to a top 10 stock from almost any other industry, those top 10 stocks really outperformed. And that's something we've seen structurally. We've mm -hmm. done a, a study that's called our Value Creators Report for the last 20 plus years now. And it's, it's something we've, we've seen almost year in, year out, that unless you really talk about a, a very specific cycle, let's say for a while mine, mining companies couldn't make a, a, right. a, a dime even if they wanted to. But otherwise, it's really about differentiating yourself within your industry mm -hmm. and being a winner there which is why things like, like the kinds of investments that you make now mm -hmm. in competitive differentiation, be it through technology, be it through developing your brands, be it through strategic acquisitions that really change your capabilities, but basically putting this, the, 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 the pieces in uh, play mm -hmm. that will enable you to 
beat your competition over the next five to 10 years, mm -hmm. that, that's what, what really will change the game. And honestly, that could be in almost any industry. Right. Obviously, it's going to be a little easier if you look in, at businesses that are lighter, asset light, mm -hmm. um, if you look at businesses that are already technology uh, focused. But even in old school industries, there are going to be, be winners. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's the, the encouraging thing. That it's not as simple as one industry wins, all others lose, or, or a few others lose. It's, it's much more something where every, almost every company has the, 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 their cards, and it depends on how they play them, much more so uh, what you were first dealt. Gotcha. Maybe kind of a la last topic to talk about a little bit is ESG investing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's something that we're hearing so much Big. more this year, so I'm kind of curious what you saw in the survey. Right, and, and we, we did ask, ask a few questions around, around that. Um, I, I think the first thing to really differentiate is there is ES and there is G. Because right. gov governance has been in something that's an important topic throughout. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've seen a lot more since the, there been act, has been activism on that front. So that, that, that's not a new theme, really. I think what we've really seen, and, and our data supports that, is that investors, mainstream investors, are much more looking at environmental and social factors. Mm -hmm. Now, the mainstream does that to complement its perspective. Um, and often still thinking about it as a risk factor. Um, but there also are a ton of really ESG-focused investors who, who really make social in impact investing right. part of their investment thesis. Mm -hmm. um, so ju just, to give you an, and just to give you an impression, um, we heard from almost 60% of investors mm -hmm. that companies can still get a lot better at integrating that lens, that's called the broader sustainability lens, right. into their business strategy. Because right? in a sense, I think the, the, uh, what we also hear from investors is they, they don't want companies to have an ESG mantle. Mm -hmm. They want that to be part of the business. Integrated. Fully integrated, something where you do the right things, both because they're the right things for the business long term, and that incorporates, that reflects doing the right things environmentally, doing the right things socially. Um, and you know, governance is just an enabler for that. And in terms of that, especially, I think, like the environmental kind of green focus, is that something mm -hmm. you saw a little bit more this year than in previous years? Um, we, we, we did, though it's not necessarily just focused on, on say, the green technology. Mm -hmm. This is one, one of the things we, we do in our, our value creators analysis. There is a in, whole industry around uh, um, green technology. Mm -hmm. It's not that that industry is, uh, you know, outperforming everybody else. It's really something where... Um, it depends so much on your industry and so much on what are the environmental factors that influence your business. Mm -hmm. So if, if I have a production business, it's really about how much energy do I consume? Do I have any, any waste that uh, I, I need, to, need to take care of? Can I reduce all of those? Um, if I, you know, what is my carbon footprint? Um, and it's, it's really something that is almost industry agnostic because it's important in any industry right. now, but how exactly that that, that looks, mm -hmm. and how what exactly I need to do in order to you know, have a better footprint, and ideally, not just there's not an absolute standard. It's much more around how, how what can I do off of my fundamental base. Mm -hmm. right? If if I'm a in a business that is 
transforming materials, I will need energy for that. Right. So it's, it's not that I, I don't have the option of uh, getting out of that mm -hmm. right now, but what is the path that I have? How can I also differentiate myself from other companies in my space who maybe are slower to, to, to adopt that? Um, so so it's, it's something where investors told us more and more, um, and, and our survey, survey also showed that more and more investors are really adopting that lens. So it, it, it's something where companies really need to make sure that they're not falling behind what their investors expect. Gotcha. So, I mean, maybe tying it back a little bit to what we were saying at the beginning that, you know, it, it, when it's coming to CapEx, whether it's coming to M&A, whether it's coming to kind of this kind of ESG focus, it, it's more about what the companies are doing. Not that they're just doing something, but, ex but specifically what they're doing. It, it, it's exactly that. And it's very specifically how those different things come together. Because mm -hmm. at, at the end of the day, what's really going to make or break things for, for investors is not just that I do one thing right. It's great if I invest in, in growth. But if I do that without considering what does it mean for my sustainability, what does it mean for my current financial profile, I, it, it needs to come together as a, we, we like to call that value creation roadmap. Because mm -hmm. it's, and investors are surprisingly open to things that are not short-term, that don't, don't necessarily have a short-term impact. Right. Or sometimes that may even compromise your short-term. Mm -hmm. As long as A, they really understand the logic for it, and it's a compelling logic. And they also understand what is the path to get there. So sometimes you just really need to, to, to lay out, this is what the next two to five years are going to look like. And maybe this year we'll invest more on that, and that means we'll need to compromise. Maybe we're not going to buy back more shares this year, like maybe some of our investors would like us to. Mm -hmm. But it is for the, for the long-term health of our company, for our long-term trajectory, and this is how that will translate. More and more investors are really looking for, for that m mindset, mm -hmm. and for and one companies to be open to that, without them nailing them down to. Five years ago, you said you would right. hit this yeah. number, right? Because I, I think one of the big challenges a lot of companies have, right, is they're so used to giving financial guidance mm -hmm. that is short term, by quarter or or for the year, and obviously investors hold their feet to the fire on delivering on those numbers, right. And we see companies get uh, slaughtered if they if they don't meet those numbers. Mm -hmm. This is very different. This is really about putting a logic together. That is, this is our midterm model for driving value for our shareholders, and and that that is something where the right investors will also take the time to really understand that, and that means they're going to be on board with that, even if you're going to miss your numbers for for a quarter or for a year because they buy into the midterm model. Gotcha. Well, I, I'd like to thank you, Hattie. I'd like, really like to thank you. This was great. Well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, um, all the best. So thanks for listening to The Exchange. This podcast was produced by Andrew D'Antonio and Freddie Joyner. Be sure to check out BreakingViews.com and subscribe to our various audio products, including The Views Room, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixed. Thanks again for listening.